Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season six. Episode Quattro, <laughs> going bilingual for our Spanish-speaking friends, minimally bilingual, I might add. Yes, minimally. Yeah, we're coming to you today from all over the place, but I'm coming to you from the Columbus, Ohio area, home of Jack Nicholas, whom I have modeled my golf game after. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow. Your first reference to home of in Columbus. And yet it seems like you haven't modeled it very well, Terry. I've seen you play golf. I guess you have, Alan. I'm trying to think of just one time. It's memorable. Alan, don't give away all Terry's secrets. (laughs) I'm sure there is some similarity between Jack Nicholas golf game and mine. Yes. You both use a golf ball. You both use a golf ball. Air minimum. He probably uh, uses a better one than I do and loses fewer of them than I do. Probably but true as anyway, well. uh, as I yell for, uh, I'm Terry, and uh, I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I am Alan. I am the director of multiplication in Eastern PA and uh, thankful to be serving in a regional role as well with church planning. And Caitlin Guyberson is with us, and she is our producer and a real estate expert these days. Sure am. Terry beat me to Columbus, but I am well on my way. <laughs> Halfway here, almost. And I will be glad to have both of you closer to me. Yes, Alan. That's actually why the National Office is moving to Columbus to be closer to you. Our guest today is uh, Bob Thune from Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, that's a familiar name to many of you who are longtime Alliance people, but we're going to fool you because it's not the Bob Thune you know, it's his son, Bob Thune. Many of you know Bob Thune and his wife, Ruthie, who were pastor and wife for years at Christ Community Church in Omaha, and uh, their son now pastors in uh, Omaha. And we're glad to have him here with us today. Alan, tell us a little bit about uh, Bob, if you would, please. Yeah, well, you know, this is actually the first time I had a chance to personally talk with him. Uh, but I've read his book, Gospel Eldership. Uh, had lots of conversations with our churches, church planters about it. Recommended the book, you know, and, and church planting, training and equipping elders uh, is an important part of getting the church established and when I have a simple tool like this book to recommend, then I am happy to recommend it. And so I thought, man, we should have Bob Thune on the podcast. And lo and behold, today we do. Well, I love it. And uh, appreciate your partnership, Alan, in, in uh, not only hosting the podcast, but helping us find uh, great uh, interviews and looking forward to what Bob has to share with us today on the subject of equipping elders. Me too. So. Sit back, relax, grab yourself a knee-high grape. Wow, the soda of Radar O'Reilly. Oh, interesting. 
Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. Well, Bob, it's great to have you today. Thank you, Bob Thune, for joining us. Uh, so why don't you, we'd love to start. A lot of our listeners may not be familiar with who you are, though there are probably some Alliance listeners that recognize your name for some reason. Uh, maybe some of our older listeners can resonate with that. But tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your spiritual journey, and your call to ministry. Well, uh, thanks. Yeah, I'm a pastor in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I grew up here, uh, grew up in the CMA. Uh, my father was a a CMA pastor for many years. And so some of your listeners will be familiar with him. Uh, and so grew up in a, a healthy local church here in Omaha. Um, and, you know, that's where my my formation in my early life was primarily through my parents and through just a, a faithful, healthy local church. Um, I went to the U- University of Oklahoma uh, on an academic scholarship and that was really where my call to ministry kind of happened. Um, at OU, I was surrounded by a bunch of people who thought I was crazy for being a Christian, but were, who were really intelligent people who had very good and um, and intelligent objections to the Christian faith. And so I found myself uh, having to learn how to dialogue and discuss and, and talk about uh, Christianity with people who just didn't find it compelling and, and for all kinds of reasons um, had questions and, and hangups and reasons why they um, would not uh, adhere to the Christian faith or thought it was ridiculous to do so. So I really um, enjoyed those conversations and started really, um, you know, reading people like C.S. Lewis, right. And, and getting into well, what does it mean to engage a, um, a skeptical person who, you know, has really good sound objections um, to the Christian faith. And in the process of all of that, I, I sort of sensed the Lord beginning to give me a love for that and uh, and to call me to sort of devote my life to that kind of work, that sort of gospel advancement work that was less about, you know, maintaining what existed and more about reaching people who were unconvinced. And so that's what got me into church planting. Um, I spent some time, my wife and I spent a few years in campus ministry right after college, uh, working with college students. And then uh, we planted Quorum Deo Church uh, in 2005 here in Omaha. Uh, Our church is part of the Acts 29 network. Uh, We've been faithfully just doing work here for 16 years uh, and primarily planted the church to try to reach uh, de-churched people, skeptical people, um, people who sort of were like my friends in college who aren't hostile toward Christianity, but just don't feel like it speaks anything meaningful to them. And so that's kind of been our our missionary aim in church planting has been to try to connect with and reach um, some of those people in our city. That's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, I love that, Bob. So uh, I join Alan in thanking you for uh, joining us and uh, giving us the time. And one of the questions we've started asking each of our guests is uh, who influenced you, particularly maybe early in your ministry as, 
uh, you know, leaders that really influenced you and, and uh, were formational in your leadership philosophy? Uh, who's, who's really been influential in your life and ministry? Well, I always start with my mom and dad uh, because they just lived lives of faithful Christian integrity. So mm-hmm. I just grew up in a home where um, following Jesus was what we did. And my mom and dad were really people of integrity. And so they were very influential in my development um, as a leader. Uh, and then uh, more in my life and ministry, uh, certainly Tim Keller has had a significant influence. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who I already mentioned. Um, Steve Childers, who was one of my professors in seminary, who really gave me a vision for church planting. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, I learned from all kinds of people living and dead. So I'm always reading. I'm always trying to sort of uh, learn new things. So I, it's, it's hard to list everyone who's been influential, but those are some of the key influences, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I have some mentors I've never met, but I'm really grateful for them. And some of them, like you said, are, are already passed on, but I am indebted to them and look forward to thanking them on the other side. Whew. That was good. You've written several books, uh, but we've asked you to be on the podcast for this interview because of your book about God called Gospel Eldership. Uh, what led you to write a book about eldership? Quite frankly, because I didn't find anything out there that answered the questions I was asking. Mm. Um, there are, of course, books on eldership. Uh, many, I found two kinds of books. Um, many of them sort of came from a uh, more of a business world model of, hey, here's how to lead an effective board meeting, or, you know, here's, here's a pragmatic way of how to, how to lead, you know, an, an elder team, um, more from a business perspective. And then there's a, you know, the classic book on eldership, uh, theologically is Alexander Strzok's book, Biblical Eldership, which was really helpful to me uh, to just shape a sound biblical understanding of eldership. But what I was missing, what I wanted to do was train elders in our church. And I just couldn't find anything that, that helped people understand what does it mean to serve as an elder? a shepherd, a pastor? Uh, what does it mean to go from not being an elder to being an elder? What are the competencies and the character? And what is what, what kind of leader do I need to become in order to serve faithfully in that role? And it, it sort of felt to me like uh, maybe that was intuitive to previous generations. Maybe there was just, um, maybe that was just something people figured out, but I couldn't find a, a book that I felt like really laid that foundation in the way I was hoping for. And so that's, uh, I started sort of just building material to develop elders within our own church. And that's what turned into this book. That's great. That, that's exactly why I, I've recommended to other people because to find something that is quality to recommend to do exactly what you're saying was, is really hard to find. So thanks for writing it. I'll say that part. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thank you for using it. <laughs> so Bob, why do you think so many churches struggle with intentionally equipping elders uh, in, in the local church? I don't know the answer to that question. I wonder if we just sort of assume that elders will just rise up. You know, what's interesting as you read the New Testament is you you have passages, you know, like where Paul says to Titus, hey, the reason I left you on Crete is so you could appoint elders in every church. And so we see the appointing of elders, but you don't see a lot in the New Testament about how did Titus take Cretans from being evil beasts and lazy gluttons to (laughs) you you don't see that laid out. And so I, I, I think there, maybe we just assume that some great leaders will just kind of arrive and we, you know, I don't know why we struggle to intentionally develop people on that trajectory, but it certainly is a gap. It is a gap. No doubt about it. I've noticed it. Uh, I've been in a district role now for seven years and Terry has been in district ministry many more years and now national ministry. And I think that is something we see in our churches all the time. I think they kind of, we expect them to float to the top, kind of like you said, and hopefully it'll happen, but it's, we don't have intentional processes for it. 
So I'm assuming then, and based on what you said earlier and that, that that's what led you to write it as an equipping guide instead of like an instructional tome about what an elder is. So talk to us about what it looked like to be writing it as an equipping guide. Um, Yeah. You know, that's the, that's a really hard thing to do. Actually, it's difficult as a writer. It's, it, I always say writing small group questions is one of the hardest things in the world to do. It's, mm. it's, it's easy to talk about something. It's hard to make other people talk about something. And so, but what I wanted to do with this is to say, look, there's plenty of books people can read about what is an elder? What do elders do? What are the jobs of an elder? What are the functions of an elder? What does the Bible say about elders? I want to write something that helps people do the heart work and the soul work and that, that creates a conversation among leaders about what does God want from me as I move toward this calling or step into this role? What kind of a person do I need to be? And how do, I, how do we spur the conversations that we need to be having within the church to raise up the kind of mature, faithful, godly Christian elders that will really lead a church in healthy ways? Um, in the beginning of the book, I say, look, that. Every church has leaders. The questions is the question is always: Do you have good ones or bad ones? Do you have uh, qualified ones or unqualified ones? But so, in every context, somebody's going to lead. Mm. So the the question isn't: Is the church led? It is going to be led. It's just a question of how do we train and equip and shape the kinds of leaders Jesus wants for His church. And that that was my what I was trying to aim at as best I could in writing the book. That's good. I appreciate yeah. that very much. So in the book, you talk about the importance of elders having a sense of gospel awareness. Talk about what gospel awareness is and why it matters. Well, for most of us, I think when we think of the gospel, we primarily think about the message we preach and proclaim, right? This this good news that God in Jesus Christ is reconciling sinners to himself. And so we tend to think of the gospel in categories of proclamation. What I want is for us to also think about the gospel in terms of gospel sanctification? How does this message, this good news, continue to form us and shape us even after we believe it? Uh, that's what the mm-hmm. Apostle Paul talks about in like Colossians that. chapter 1, where he tells the, to, to, the church at Colossae, hey, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world, even as it does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. So he says the gospel is bearing fruit in you still to this day, even after you heard of it. And so when I talk about gospel awareness, what I'm getting at there is, do I have a sense of the places of unbelief in my own life and in my own heart, the places where I'm prone to uh, chase after other loves, um, run to other saviors, find false substitutes, false gods? Am I aware of that in my own soul? Because to the extent that I am, I will be aware of what those same challenges and struggles look like in the people of God at large. Um, I am persuaded and convinced throughout the whole Old Testament and in the New that the, fund, that the foundational problem in the world is idolatry. It's false worship. And if it's false worship that drives all of our other sins, if, we're really, if really the core problem is we just won't let God be God, then for elders to lead a church in gospel renewal they need to be aware of well, where, where do I, what false gods do I chase after? Where am I um, not satisfied in Christ 
but running to other things for satisfaction, whether that's the approval of the people in my church, whether it's the mm. reputation I have as a leader, whether it's, you know, have I written a book or have I been invited on a podcast or do I, did I speak at a conference or is my church growing? There's all kinds of places where leaders are prone to find identity and security and meaning and value apart from in Christ himself. And I think that's, that's what I mean when I talk about gospel awareness is having a sense of that. Um, elders having a sense of that and being able to meaningfully talk about what repentance and faith looks like in their own life. I really appreciate that. I feel like um, in the Alliance, you know, we've been given a fourfold gospel, which you certainly heard a lot about when you were growing up, you know, and part of that is Christ is our sanctifier, but it seems to be a pension for people in a lot of our churches just to think of Christ as our savior and to skip over the, that part, you know, like, but it's for all of life and wow. I love the, you so practically work through that in the book uh, to help people to really think it through. And to me, that's the kind of thinking that elders do. That's probably one of the main reasons I like to recommend the book for that alone, because you have that sewn into the whole, the whole book. Uh, and it's so helpful and practical to get what Vanderstelt calls like that gospel fluency among the elders. I love it. Yes. Yeah, yes. I love well, it. and that's what, I mean, unfortunately, if you look at what creates unhealth in churches, it's usually just a lack of that. It's a lack of gospel awareness, right? It's it's people who love the Lord but are trying to hold on to their turf or you know protect the, a way of doing things that we used to do things. And and so there's a lack of um, humility in applying the gospel to my own heart and my own struggles. And that that I mean, in almost every church I've seen or been in that that sort of has some unhealthy tendencies in its culture, it always tends to be around just the centrality of the gospel. Yeah, that's good. So in the book, you also talk about uh, three C's, uh, character, competence of an elder, but also their compatibility with a local church. Can you unpack how you see those three C's and, um, talk about how they work together for an elder to be fruitful? Yeah. Well, I I think one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it gives us qualifications for elders, right? So you have first Timothy three and Titus one, where it just lays out really clearly, if someone aspires to the office of overseer, here's the kind of person they need to be. And so you have husband of one wife, not given a drunkenness. You have this whole set of character qualifications. If you compare those lists in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, probably 80% of those things fall in the category of what you'd call character. It's just, is there a mature, godly, humble Christian virtue in this person? And so that's, that's the bulk of what makes someone a qualified elder is just a, a life of faithful Christian discipleship and virtue. But then you have, you have areas of competence able to teach um, or in Titus able to refute those who contradict. There's a, there's a theological and a doctrinal understanding and sort of a groundedness in the word of God, especially if the primary work of elders is to, to minister the word, right? The, the sort of act six paradigm, let, let's devote ourselves to, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If that's what elders are to give themselves to, then there has to be a competence and a skill with the word of God and a theological aptitude, an ability to understand the Bible. And, um, and so there are some areas of competence reflected in those qualifications. That third C is the one that I don't know that we think that well about, which is compatibility. And, and that just relates to um, calling to a particular context. So the, actually, the, the example I used of Titus on Crete is a good example, right? When Paul says to Titus, hey, I left you on Crete so you'd appoint elders in every church. The assumption is the elders he's appointing are Cretans who understand the context of the island of Crete and the particular idolatries and sins and unbelief that's there and who are trusted by the people there. He wouldn't import an elder from Philippi or 
from Asia Minor and drop them in Crete and say, here, I, I brought this guy from Jerusalem and, and we're going to make him an elder in the church here. So the compatibility factor has to do with, is there a, a resonance for the, the particular DNA and calling of this church, right? Every church is unique. And every church, even if you think about things like ministry philosophy, man, it's really important that elders are aligned on those things and feel a sense of, I'm excited about the ministry philosophy of this church. Or if I'm not excited about it, at least we share a desire to see it reformed and renewed. And so we're not going to be working at cross purposes with each other. Um, so I think that compatibility factor, if, if, um, if someone is called to eldership, they're also going to be called not, they're, they're always called to eldership in a particular local church. There's no such thing as eldership in general. There's only shepherd the flock of God among you, First Peter chapter 5. So, uh, in fact, back in the Reformation, one of the things that John Calvin took issue with was the fact that there were these Roman Catholic priests who just were sort of like roving priests, and they would just go around and do masses, and they weren't connected to any city or any people or any congregation. And Calvin said, what, what an abomination that you could be a pastor of a flock that doesn't exist. So, if, if you're always a pastor of a flock, um, that's the nature of that sea of compatibility that says you're, you're always called to eldership in a particular church, um, and that has importance. Um, you, these are the flock that you're responsible to shepherd, and, and that very much matters to the work of an elder. Yeah, good. So, Bob, you refer to elders as missional pace setters of the church. Uh, why do you refer to them in that way, and, and what does it look like for elders to be those missional pace setters? Uh, that's simply the New Testament model of elders leading the church in mission, leading the church in bringing the gospel to those who don't know Christ. And the, that in our, in our world that we live in, that's a more challenging task than it's ever been, uh, right? There are, there are less and less people around us who, Tim Keller used the analogy of, we used to live in a world where everybody had the pieces of furniture in their head and you just need to rearrange the furniture in the room, right? They had the category of God and sin and judgment and hell and heaven, and you just need to put the pieces in the right spots. And that's kind of what evangelism was, was taking the furniture that already existed in people's minds and arranging it correctly. Um, more and more, we live in a world where those basic pieces of furniture, those basic foundational assumptions don't exist anymore. People are not familiar with the, the major stories of the Bible, nor do they sort of have a, a basic understanding of um, what we might call the, the biblical worldview. And so elders have to lead the church in mission, in figuring out what does it mean for us to be missionaries in our city, in our town, in our neighborhood? How do we lead the church to look outward at the people who aren't here yet, and to ask the question, how, what does it mean for us to proclaim and display the gospel in, in compelling ways that, that speak to the people that live in our neighborhood or in our city? That's what a missional pace setter is. It's just someone who's, who's trying to do the best they can in their own limited way to lead the church on mission. And so what I mean by that question or that idea of an elder being a missional pace setter is, hey, elders should have friendships with non-Christians. Elders should be people who are meaningfully sharing the gospel in their relational networks. Elders should be people who, who, who have real stories of ways that they're trying to engage friends, neighbors, family members with the gospel. And too often, elders become sort of managers of programs or people sort of who see their job as um, maybe overseeing the staff or overseeing the programs of the church. So it's almost like it, 
eldership can become bureaucratic instead of a pace-setting missionary endeavor. And I think when it does that, it's a it's a movement away from what we see in the New Testament, which is the apostles uh, and and really all the early Christians being missionary pace setters in the world around them, asking how can how can we continue to move forward the kingdom of God in the city that we find ourselves in. Yeah, I think you know, of course you have the, the whole list uh, in Timothy and Titus, but I feel like the one I hear people talk about the least is the, the about hosp- being hospitable. Yeah. You know, welcoming outsiders, loving strangers. You know, it's, yeah. people skip right over that one for some reason. Well, and that's an interesting one because if you just read it in the English, it sounds like having people over for dinner. You know, practice right. hospitality. But the the Greek phrase there is really the love of strangers. It very yeah. much is a missionary word that speaks to um, having real relationships with people outside the church. Yeah, it sure is. And, and I love that. And uh, I appreciate you pointing that out because I, I think that's another area that people don't. I mean, I think the longer we're Christians, the farther we get removed from no, the non-Christian world and elders are helpfully leading people to stay connected to the lost for the sake yeah. of the gospel. So we're going to have pastors that are listening and they just figure they want to get started. And obviously this book is a great tool to use but there might be some cultivating work to do or something else you would suggest, you know, what's, what's the good first steps down the road to a pastor thinking through uh, equipping elders? Um, well, I, I think in two categories, I mean, obviously at the, at the, at the risk of self-promotion, well, by the book, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, um, no, hundred percent. That's why we're talking about it. That's okay. Uh, but there, you know, they kind of have two categories. So I work with a lot of church planters, who are asking the question, how do I raise up an initial group of elders? Mm-hmm. And so that's one question. And so, you know, you need to ask the question, okay, who, who has God put around me and how do I move those people from maybe being Christians or faithful church members toward being qualified to, to serve as shepherds in the flock? But you also have the question of for an existing church, let's say I want to bring some new elders into the mix, or maybe my current elders need renewing and refreshing and sort of a, a reviving of the biblical vision for what the church is to be. You know, there's some other work that's required there on behalf of pastors. There's a really helpful little book for that second category that maybe not many people have heard of. It's called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church by Jack Miller. And um, it's just a book on renewal. How do you, how do, if your church has become a little bit ingrown, how do you create renewal? How do you, how do you move past that sort of calcification and that sort of stagnancy that can set in? And bring a renewed vision for for missionary fruitfulness and influence. So I've found that book helpful. But I think, you know, the the, the same basic things, right? Um, intentional prayer, studying the scriptures on eldership, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20, and, and really asking the Lord. I mean, one of the things we've always prayed for throughout the history of Quorum Deo is God raise up men within our church who feel called to serve, who want to serve, who who want to give their lives for the sake of this kind of thankless work of shepherding the flock, just trusting the Lord to raise up those people and to, to put a longing within folks. And then I also would say, man, one, thing's pa- one thing pastors need to do is to be sowing that vision into men in their church. Um, I always, you know, I want to be talking about that from the pulpit. I want to be in my discipleship relationships, casting vision for men to step forward into the work of shepherding and eldership. I don't want, I don't want the men in our church aspiring to just being a faithful Christian in the church. I think that's great, but I also want them aspiring toward leadership and serving and sacrifice and and sort of those 
set of, of dispositions and disciplines that mark the life of an elder. I think as I look at first Timothy three, what I often say to the men of Quorum Deo is, Hey, the picture of what qualifies someone to be an elder is just a, a mature Christian man. So let's, let's just all aspire to be mature, godly Christian men. And guess what will also happen? We'll have a bunch of people qualified to serve as elders and, and willing and able to step into that office. That's good. I appreciate that. I, I ask an additional question. I'm I'm springing this on you, so have mercy on me. That's great. Um, but I, as I think about this, one of the and the list of in Timothy and Titus, it's always I've thought multiple times. Why doesn't it say anything about prayer? You know, you mentioned about the pastor praying when that happened, but it doesn't specifically say anything about prayer. Why do you think that is? I have no idea why. <laughs> but I, I wonder. Oh. If it's, <laughs> I, I wonder if it's because um, because prayer is like there are certain things in the New Testament that are just assumed as part of the fabric of the church, mm. and I wonder if the New Testament just assumes prayer as so foundational to the life of God's people that it's wow, just yeah. that, that they don't see it as a qualification for eldership. It's just well, of course, that's something Christians should be doing. So I, you know, who knows? But I think that's one possibility. Is you you do see a number of things that are just so implicit in sort of the foundation of what the church is that they're rarely named explicitly. So Bob, Thanks, we I appreciate had, that. We, we did this interview a couple of days ahead of what we had planned to, because you've got an elders retreat coming up this week. And uh, so uh, what are you guys talking about? What are you looking forward to in this retreat? Uh, yeah. Well, one of the, um, the thing I most look forward to is, you know, our elder team at Quorum Deo is a diverse team, um, and it, it's a team of men who are all good leaders. And so what you find is if, if elders are leading a church well, one of the things they need is just unhurried relational time with each other, because what you're doing is you're building the relational fabric from which you're able to lead together effectively. And so when we go on an elders retreat, man, there's some things we're studying and talking about and thinking about and praying about together. There's certainly some strategic work we're doing, but we're also just spending a lot of unhurried time being together. So we're going to do some mountain biking on this particular trip. We're going to uh, visit an art museum together. Uh, there's some things we're doing that are just sort of shared experiences that are just trying to create that relational container within which we can fight, argue, disagree, lead together, serve together, go through hard things together, um, lead the church forward. So, so for me, the reason we do an elder retreat as we try to do it once a year or so uh, is just to create that relational context where we can have some shared experiences and really put, um, put miles in relationally that reap a lot of benefit when we're leading through things together in the life of the church. Yeah, that's we, good stuff. Yeah, we pray that you have a great... Uh, retreat, great connections, good food too. I think that's always an important. Yeah, we're definitely going to eat well for sure. <laughs> Any retreat, that's good. absolutely makes conversations better for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, insightful conversation, Bob. We really appreciate it. You uh, gave me a book title that I said I need to look that up and read it, and uh, you put some uh, elements to the role of elder. You know, we're, we've been doing some work on the definition of an elder. I said I got to go back and look at my definition because. <laughs> Because I like this uh, idea of the the missional component, and I'm hoping it's in there. I didn't memorize it; I just wrote it. So uh, I'm going <laughs> to and uh, take a look again. But we really appreciate the time that you've uh, taken with us uh, today, and uh, 
pray God's uh, richest blessing c- continues on your uh, ministry and leadership there in Omaha. Well, thanks for the time to talk with you. And I pray the, the flourishing of the churches that, that you all represent and that your listeners represent. Uh, nothing, nothing I want more than to see the local church thrive. Amen to that. Amen to that for sure. Thanks so much, Bob. Appreciate Thank it very much. So Alan, Bob gave us some uh, great insights about equipping elders, what elders should look like. What'd you hear that you uh, are hanging your hat on? Wow. Well, I'm just really thankful, first of all, that he provides really an equipping tool like this. You know, there's lots of places to get information about elders, but there's not a lot of places to go for equipping elders. Uh, I love what he talked about in terms of the gospel awareness, Uh, because, you know, in the Alliance, we have this treasure of the fourfold gospel, but people often think of the gospel as kind of our our ticket to heaven and, and forget that you know, the gospel is for all of life. All those wonderful promises we have in Jesus, the truth we have about who he is and what he's done for us, they apply to all of life. And and I love how his book and his conversation alludes to that, that the idea of making sure that our lives uh, are like, you know, like Paul referenced in Galatians 2, that our lives are aligned with the gospel. So I am so encouraged to recommend that because of that. And then just his word about elders being the missional pace setters of the church, that overlooked quality of the love of strangers and how elders can set the pace for that in the church. To to me, those are the two biggest takeaways. Yeah. And that ties into uh, Rick Richardson's book, You Found Me. Yes. Rick Rick is a guest on the podcast. And so he talks a lot in that book. Well, the number one quality, he says, of uh, a church that's a conversion community is this whole idea of hospitality that uh, Bob defines so very well for us. So hope you benefited from this. We appreciate you listening. I love talking to people out across the U.S. who listen to the podcast and uh, feel free to share it with others and uh, let them know what you're learning and and what they might be able to uh, learn from uh, listening to the podcast. And uh, we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of equipping you podcast until then keep the faith thank you for joining us on this episode of the equipping you podcast if you liked this episode please consider subscribing and rating our channel we hope you will join us for our next episode for more information on this podcast and other ministries of the alliance visit equippingyou.org.